What's up, everybody? It's Pastor James, and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are officially in the Lent season, so I hope that you guys are participating with us in fasting and prayer leading up to Easter Sunday. But today we are still in chapter 18, so let's begin reading, and we should have enough time to knock out a couple of sections in this chapter. So let's begin with the parable of the lost sheep in verses 12 to 14. Read this with me. It said, If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the ninety-nine that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my Heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Okay, so let's address the obvious real quick. In the version that I'm reading, which is the NLT, um, verse 11 is not included in the scriptural portion of the reading. But it's at the bottom of the page as a footnote. And just as we discussed a few weeks back in uh, chapter 17 and verse 21, uh, the original manuscripts that were used to translate uh, the Gospel of Matthew into the English language um, did not include verse 21 from chapter 15, nor does it include uh, verse 11 from chapter 18 that we're reading today. And... uh, Just like with uh, chapter 17, verse 21, there have been other manuscripts that have been discovered after the 1611 um, translation of the King James Version. And so those manuscripts that have been discovered since then are actually older than the manuscripts that were used to translate the King James 1611. And because of that, they're considered more accurate, and they don't include Matthew 17, verse 21, nor Matthew 18, verse 11. So... As I said last time, they're at the bottom of the page. They're not completely left out or counted as non-scriptural because there's nothing about those two verses that contradicts any other part of Scripture. Um, They're perfectly fine verses. They simply make note that it is just not in the oldest manuscripts that we have, and therefore they don't include it with the regular scriptural reading, but it is at the footnote at the bottom of your Bible. So... Let's go ahead and talk about the lost sheep. Uh, We have a man with 100 sheep, which is a fairly large number to care for. And as you can imagine, I'm sure when you have 100 sheep or 100 animals of any kind, that the chances of one of them wandering away is going to be pretty good. And one of these precious sheep wander away. And Jesus says that the shepherd would leave the 99 others to go out and search for this lost sheep. Now, it was typical during this time that the shepherds were not the ones that actually owned the sheep but it was their job to care for the sheep that belonged to someone else so if the sheep was lost um, they very well could be responsible in uh, recovering that loss or either paying for the loss so this is perhaps you know one of the reasons why the shepherd um, leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one so that they wouldn't have to pay for it and they rejoice whenever they find that sheep because finding the sheep uh, was it was their way of not not having to pay for what was lost. And it's not a matter of lost time or extra work. You know, some people think, oh, it would be so frustrating to do this. It was just part of their job. I mean, it was what they were paid to do. Uh, this is this is what a shepherd was called to do: is care for their flock and. This valuable lamb has been recovered, and the shepherd can celebrate because it means that he will no longer be held liable for the loss of the sheep. 
So what you see here is that God is brought into this analogy, and except God is the owner of the sheep, and Jesus is kind of considered or always referred to as the shepherd, which is always interesting. Um, God sent Jesus to go and recover the wandering sheep of Israel. I mean, it is God's desire that not one of these little ones should perish. However, it's not necessarily just talking about one of the little ones. And you have to remember from our, our passage last week, uh, at the beginning of chapter 18, that Jesus has this little kid, this probably around a toddler, um, sitting in his lap as he's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become as one of these little children. And it's not just talking about uh, these little ones as in these children. Remember, Jesus says that we have to become like little children. And because we become like little children, we are referred to as his little children. And uh, he told the disciples that, you know, unless you become like these children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is communicating that his little ones or his children, which is all of us, are valuable to him. And he doesn't want them to be lost, not even one. And Jesus is willing to leave the ones, the 99 others, in order to find that one lost sheep because he wants to recover them when they have wandered away. And that's super important to see the character and the desire of Christ and God in this moment. So we have to be very careful in how we view people um, because let's just say we're one of the 99 that's left on the hill for our shepherd to go and recover one of the lost ones. You know, it's easy for us to get frustrated, angry, resentful, and maybe even kind of despise someone who has wandered away because we just don't understand it. We we don't agree with it. We feel like they should know better. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we feel a certain way towards people who have wandered away from their faith and maybe who have fell back into sin. But Jesus, in this moment, does not despise the wanderer. He, it doesn't matter why they've wandered away or what it is they've done or anything like that. It doesn't matter that it's the only one and there's 99 other ones. Uh, even one is valuable enough to leave the other 99 and go and recover that wandering lost child. So it, it doesn't matter if we think that it isn't valuable or it doesn't matter if they have wandered astray and, and we think they should know better. Jesus loves them. Jesus paid the price in order to be able to recover them. And in all honesty, we've all gone astray at times. We, we need to make sure that we are loving with the same heart and attitude of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate in this moment to his disciples as he's teaching about this, that the wandering sheep are just as important as the ones who are there and remaining healthy. Okay? So let's read verses 15 through 20. And we'll talk about correcting another believer. And this is a super fascinating passage of Scripture. And it gives us some great guidance on how we're supposed to handle some situations that more than likely we're going to come, that's going to come up in our lives and we're going to have to handle. Okay? Let's read verses 15 through 20 together. It says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Alright, so let's dig into this because this is a very intense passage that places an immense calling on, the li- on our life and how we should handle grievances with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember this is uh, with other believers because chances are someone who is not a Christian is not going to play according to the same rules as you when you are trying to faithfully serve Christ. If they don't believe in Christ, they're not going to believe in the teachings of Christ. Therefore, they're not going to be obedient to the teachings of Christ. So it is important to understand that this is talking about how we deal with other Christians rather than dealing with people in the world. Also be aware that Jesus is not calling you to confront someone every time they sin against you or hurt you in some way. Now this is super important because some people have clung to this verse and they use it as an opportunity to confront people constantly and that's very unhealthy. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 2 through 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And it's important for us to understand that people are not perfect. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. We are not perfect. We are going to hurt people and offend them. And we have to be very careful to understand that other people are also going to hurt and offend us. A lot of times, that is very unintentional. And so it's very important that we follow the teachings of Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 2-3, through and we are humble and gentle and make allowance for each other's faults because of our love. Not only our love for them, but our love for Jesus. So there are times where we are wronged or hurt, where we have to allow things to be just to let them go. Because not everything is worth fighting over. Not everything is worth um, making a big deal over. But the thing is, is there are times when things are so big and they affect us so much that we do need to address them. We do need to go and talk to the other persons. And, and so in times that there that we can offer up grace and mercy and forgiveness, we should do that. However, if there is a time when someone wrongs you in such a way that you're just unable to let it go, you should go and talk to them in the manner that Jesus has just called us to. And this will help to keep us from falling prey to bitterness, revenge, gossiping, um, and really just hanging on to stuff that is going to affect us a lot longer than other people. And we, we need to go to these people exactly how Jesus tells us to. And, and there's a process that Christ wants us to follow. And this process is so important because if we don't do it the way Jesus teaches us to, then we could possibly open up the door for Satan to have a field day, not only in our personal lives, but in the lives of anyone connected to the situation or people who are simply just close to us. I mean, there's been times in my life where I've been hurt and bitter about something. And in all honesty, my wife has suffered probably more than I have because she's had to listen to me bicker and complain about it and and be mad about it and had to listen to me talk about it for years. And so just understanding that, you know, a lot of times if you cling to stuff and you don't let it go, 
you could actually not only harm yourself more, but harm people you love more than you would ever harm the person who has offended you in the beginning. So, our bitterness will greatly affect us, and the dangers of being hurt by a fellow brother or sister of Christ, there, there are just certain dangers that come up in this situation. So when they hurt us, whether it be intentional or unintentional, many times most people are regretful and they want to move on. And most of the time people just don't know how to. But if you hold on to bitterness, anger, and resentment, you will be the one that's held in bondage over this for years until you either confront them in the way that Jesus has called you to or you just forgive them and let it go through the name of Jesus Christ. So this is going to hold you in bondage if you don't do this and this is one of the reasons why Christ gives us this process to go through. So let's begin breaking down the process. First Jesus says go to them privately and this is never there's never a need to make a big stink about something, no matter how much someone has offended you. And that's very important for us to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to go personally and give the person the opportunity to express regret, remorse, to ask for forgiveness, and to confess their sins. Now, that's that's huge because a lot of times if we just give people the opportunity more than likely they'll take it. If they're a true follower of Jesus Christ, if they're a true believer, even if they didn't know that they hurt you, even if they were unaware for it, more than likely they will probably apologize anyway. And we have to have faith in the process. I mean, when we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, it's all about faith. We have to have faith that Jesus is real. We have to have faith that heaven's real. And you have to have faith in this process that it will work because sometimes, well, a lot of times Satan will want you to think that it's not going to work. But you have to believe it's going to work. You have to trust in this process. And many, many, many times from my experiences being in ministry and doing this personally, but also encouraging other people to do this process and obey the teachings of Jesus, most of the time all they have to do is just go and say, Hey, you hurt me. You did this. And I'm having a really hard time with it. And most of the time, the the offending person usually confesses and apologizes and repents. Even if they didn't know it, if they love Jesus, they will still apologize because they want to be right. They want to be in right standing with Christ, and they want to be right standing with their brothers and sisters. So, um, go personally to the people. Allow them the opportunity to confess. And it says, if you're successful... Um, then you've won that person. You, you've had a great spiritual victory. So this is a great opportunity for us to win a victory in the name of Jesus. But if you are unsuccessful, <clears throat> then take one or two others to go with you so that you can have mediators there to help guide the two of you in conversation. And guys, if you're right, you shouldn't have a problem with taking someone else to be a mediator to steer things in a biblical manner. And then it goes on to say, but if that doesn't work, then take your case before the church. Now, this is not something that we see very much these days because we do this a little differently now. Um, for example, at Graham, you probably have never seen a, uh, a situation brought before the entire congregation to discuss and make a decision on. 
Uh, we have, uh, it's called our LBA, our local board of administration. Basically, it's made up of, of elders in the church, people who are respected spiritually uh, in their spiritual maturity and who make decisions for the church uh, regularly. And they are representatives of the congregation. So at Graham, if something like this ever came up, um, this is going to be more than likely brought before the board. And those nine representatives of the church, along with our church staff, will make a decision on this situation or this, or this grievance between uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. But um, once the church decides on this, even Jesus said to treat that person like a pagan or corrupt tax collector if they refuse to acknowledge um, how the church decides this. And it, and it is important to note that there's no, Jesus doesn't give specifications on exactly how, like, what part of the church should do this. So he didn't say the congregation, he didn't say the pastor, he didn't say the elders. So basically, it's probably up to the church to decide how they want to handle it. And for, for Graham Chapel, that's probably how we would do it. We would do it with our board of elders, along with our staff, and we would make a ruling on this. But Jesus says, once the ruling's made, and if they refuse to acknowledge it, you should treat that person as a corrupt tax collector or a pagan. And it doesn't mean that you should hate them or mistreat them in any way, but basically it's saying, look, if you're not even willing to acknowledge the authority of the church, then you don't need to be a part of the church. We're, you're not allowed to be a part of the church until you humble yourself and submit yourself to the authority of the church and do all the things that we as believers feel like you are called to do. And, and once again, to that point, you have to understand, this isn't someone who's wandering away. I mean, wandering has been eliminated from the equation. This person is outright being disobedient and removing himself from fellowship in the body because he's, he's not acknowledging or she is not acknowledging the authority of the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church. So, that's a lot. Let me throw in a little disclaimer really quick for this situation because... While I believe God's word to be perfect and applicable in all situations, we do have to take into consideration the differences in cultures, times, and laws, etc. for our day and time. For example, so let me throw this out there. For example, let's just say if a child was physically abused or molested by someone in the church. As a staff member, as a pastor, and all of our staff members, all of our board members, as leaders in the church, we are legally required by United States law to report those crimes to the authorities immediately. Those are not things that we are allowed by our nation to handle. I mean, it's a serious, uh, it's a serious crime that uh, can be handled through our government today and so we are called as Christians to submit to the governing authority and so we are called to um, report those crimes immediately so that would be one instance where we have to deviate away from Christ's original plan in addressing this situation with personally with one or two witnesses and then with the church also Let's just take into consideration, like if a woman was propositioned, or um, you know, touched or physically assaulted or whatever by a man in the church. All right, so let's just use that for example. Um, 
We would never expect that woman to go back to that man and to be alone with him again in order for her to give him the opportunity to confess and repent. That would be not only emotionally damaging, but it would also be putting her into another situation where she could be taken advantage of and harmed. So that is not something that we would also expect. And so again, a lot of that you have to understand there are laws that require us to do certain things today. And also there, we are not going to put people in danger in expecting them to follow like, you know, we're, we're taking everything completely 100% literal and we're going to do it exactly like this. You know, we're not like that. We believe in grace, mercy, and love. We're going to handle things as according to Scripture as we possibly can with the understanding that sometimes um, the Lord would have us do other things as long as we're being obedient to His Word and as long as we're honoring Him and we're not allowing sin in. Sometimes there could be just wiser and better ways to handle things. But for Jesus, this was a, a pretty good um, format in how to handle a, a quarrel between two people inside the church. Um, so you have to understand that, and I do. I did want to make that disclaimer for you guys to know that we do understand that. There are some times where we don't go by this passage 100% because we're not allowed by law, uh, We're not, and it's not always the healthiest and, and the best way to handle it for the good of all people in the situation. So... Um, just want to throw that disclaimer in there. So let's take a look at the, at the last couple of verses. Um, this next verse is super interesting. But Jesus said to the disciples, he said, Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. So th- this is quite a statement considering how many different churches exist. Now, I mean, I'm just thinking about this from today's perspective. And... Um, all the differences and the opinions and the different convictions that each church has. But Jesus seems to indicate that the church has the authority to do that. And perhaps it is good that we have multiple churches, so many churches um, around, especially in our culture, because if you think about it, if all the churches agree that something is unacceptable, then hopefully it would speak to the person who would say, well, I'm not going to submit to the authority of Graham Chapel, so I'm going to go down the road, and I'm going to join their church, and hopefully they'll let me live the way that I want to and be a part of their church. But if the other church they try to go to, they try to, go to agrees and then also does not allow it, then the authority of the church is recognized across the board, which is very healthy and good. And there are some situations, like for example, let's just say that one church does not allow women to wear pants. But if they go to another church, and that church does not mind if women wear pants, then that woman can be a part of a church where she can wear pants and be accepted and be loved. And I don't feel like that is something that is necessarily sinful. Um, I think that's more of preference and personal conviction, so it's great. Um, if a, if someone can find a church that would permit them to do that, or you know maybe if it was something like wearing shorts or a particular version of scripture that you read or something like that, so it is good that we have churches that different um, that are different in some ways. The problem is is that today we're facing 
this whole issue of churches that are allowing sin um, to be accepted in churches. And so that has been really devastating, and that's a very dangerous place to be because it's going to create the opportunity for people to want to live in sin, and now they're going to be accepted by others who are living in sin and who are allowing them to live in sin, and that is, um, that's really dangerous. So, anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Now, the last two verses are extremely comforting as we look at our relationships with God. And it says, If two agree on anything and you ask it, my Father in heaven will give it. And that is an extremely comforting verse. You know, there have been many times that we have sat down in staff meetings and talked about things. And if we can agree and we begin praying about it, it may not always be answered right away, but I, guys, I can't think of anything that we have agreed on and prayed about as a staff in the past three years at our church that uh, has not been answered, that God has answered those prayers every single time. And, and the same thing goes for our board. Anytime that our board has agreed on anything and we've prayed about it and we've sought God on it, I mean, he has answered those prayers every single time because there's not anything that... that if we can agree on that this is what the Lord wants, this is God's will, and if it if we believe that, then why would not why would God not answer that prayer? And so we also see where two or three are gathered as my followers, I'm there among them. And it's so comforting to know that Jesus is present with us when we're gathered in his name. No matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, no matter what building we're in. Christ is present when people gather together in his name. And this is a big reason why we're called to be a part of the church. You know, there is definitely power in personal worship. I mean, we can be personally filled with the Spirit of God, and we can have some amazing spiritual moments in personal scripture reading, prayer, um, you know, just spending time with the Lord. That is powerful. But there is something also special about gathering together in the name of Jesus with other believers. There is power in corporate worship with other believers. And that's something that we really need to take note of today. And that's not surprising that Jesus says this at the end because he's saying, look, when you're supposed to be holding people accountable and when you're supposed to use the authority of the church to do this, it's important for you to understand that when you can agree on something and you ask it, I'll give it to you. And when you gather together in my name, I will be there among you. That's the authority and the power that Jesus Christ placed on the church, the body of Jesus. And that's huge for us to understand. So if there's something to take away today, obey scripture Use the process Jesus talked about, um, about confronting someone who sinned against you. But also, be a part of the body of Christ. Submit to the authority of the church. It may not always be exactly what we think it should be because it's made up of people and we're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to 100% agree on everything. But the things that we can agree on and the things that we ask in the name of Jesus Christ and the things that the times where we're gathered together in his name, he promised that he would be present in all those things. So let's pray together and let's cling to that today. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together today. And Lord, as we may not be in the same place, Lord, as we may not be able to see each other face to face right now, Lord, we are together. We are listening to your word. We are reading your word. And Lord, we are talking 
about you and your teachings. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be among us right now, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would give us guidance. Lord, continue to be with your church, to give it power and authority, not just Graham Chapel, but your church across the earth. Lord, help us all to be more faithful and to be more bold and to give you all the glory and honor that you deserve. We love you today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you on campus this Sunday. If not, we'll see you on Facebook, YouTube, or podcast. Have a great week.